0: Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter.
1: Welcome back to the Surge Strength Podcast, everyone. Hope you're doing well. So it's just Awesome all the time. I know I say it, it probably gets repetitive, but to continually have coaches, not only here in the US, but around the world, continuing to enroll and become surge strength dryland certified is just awesome. And we're getting pretty close to the point now where we have enough coaches that have graduated and become surge strength dryland certified, being able to put SSDC credentials behind their name, their LinkedIn profiles, Instagram, resumes, wherever you're going to throw that, is that we're going to be pretty close to opening the graduate level in the Surge Strength Academy. So if you haven't heard about this, we we'll talk about it for a while, but kind of got put on the back burner as we were making sure everything in the certification was done, up, running, is the graduate level is a place where you can enroll Only if you have the SSDC credentials, so you have to be surge strength dryland certified, and it's going to be continuing ongoing learning about dryland. We're going to go even deeper. I I feel like the certification is just the foundational level of knowledge. And if you don't have all of that, it's harder to have intelligent conversations around dryland. So the idea behind it is you can get certified and now ongoing You're going to have access to office hours with me where you can ask me anything about dryland. I'm going to help you with your programs, workouts, questions. You can even send in workouts and programs and we're going to evaluate them on a regular basis as well to make sure you're continuing to get better with your dryland workouts. We talk about that in the certification that as a swim coach, both your water workouts and your land workouts, five, ten years down the road, you should look back at them and almost kind of cringe a little bit like, oh, I'm so much better now. And if you're not, are you really progressing as a coach? So, And there's lots of other things, too, that we're working on incorporating in the graduate level of the Surge Strength Academy. But I just wanted to put that on your radars. We don't have a date yet of when doors are going to open for that. But we're just... More coaches are getting certified every day now, and we're almost to the point where it's going to be a good time to open the graduate level, have the first founding members come on in that are already Surge Strength Dryland certified. And I think it's going to be so helpful. If you at all enjoyed the Dryland 101 courses and then going in and getting certified, you're going to love the graduate level of the academy as well. So stay tuned for more information on that. Just put it on your radar, and if you haven't already, Enroll to become SSDC. It's going to help you so much with your dryland programs. On today's episode, on the Inside the Surge Strength Academy segment, we have the dynamic dryland planning lesson that I had in the certification. And this is really about how do you make sure you have a plan, number one, but then how can you be dynamic with it? So it's not a great thing if I teach you how to do dryland and it's just set in stone and there's no way to alter things but we know as coaches as athletes things change sometimes you don't have access to equipment today or you have to change pool locations or you're not even able to go to the pool maybe you're at at home stuck doing dry land there by yourself whatever the reason you need to be able to be dynamic in your programming and being able to change but also knowing what you really shouldn't change like last resort we're changing this we can change these other things when we're talking about dry land programming so that's what we're going to dig into on the inside the Surge Strength Academy. And then in the Dryland Talk session, we are going to have another study session call from people that are enrolled to become SSDC. It was really great, a lot of good questions. I love the level of questions that are coming from coaches that are inside trying to become Surge Strength Dryland certified. It just is proving that if you have an interest, if you have a passion for Dryland, but you don't have all the skills, We'll take care of that for you. Just enroll in the academy, enroll to become certified. And that's going to give you the foundation to ask even better questions and to really tighten up what you're doing in dryland and have it produce results. Have your athletes be like, wow, I feel so strong. I feel so much better in the water. I'm able to make stroke changes easier now because the dryland program is helping support that.
0: Inside the CERD Strength Academy
1: dynamic dryland planning is what i'll be covering in this lesson so up until this point we've talked about season plans weekly plans and session plans not any one of them individually is going to give you the best dryland outcome what you really need to do is focus on optimizing each one and then how do they connect how do they interplay and making those adjustments that's actually what results in the best dry land program so think about again we create our big 10,000 30,000 foot view at season plan 10,000 foot view weekly plan we're on the ground in the session plan and what may change in one may also lead up to another so if they athletes are really overrun in a session plan you may need to look at your weekly plan and say all right where am I going to get them a little bit more rest and so it can go up and down the chain but know that they are interacting so what I wanted to do is just give a few more examples of how these are going to interact in terms of the season weekly and session plan so if we're talking about let's say a college midseason invite that was on their calendar they were planning on doing a uh, pretty much a full taper midseason and let's just say it got canceled well now what do you do you have to adjust right the season plan is changed a little bit now what do you do? with the rest of the weekly and session plans based on that. Now what I would say is, as you're going through it, you would actually still go through these uh, phases of the strength and the power. Remember for this college example, they were really beginners, so we just went back and forth between those examples and didn't go to the strength power. But what you can do is still plan that accordingly because remember, you couldn't just go 10 weeks of strength even if they're super beginner athletes, that's not the best thing. There needs to be some adaptation, some change in stimulus for the body to continually adapt and for you to see improvements as a coach. So I would actually say, wouldn't really change the the sessions or the cycles that we're doing here in the strength and power. But what I would do is change the overall volume. So as we get into that power phase, and so you saw the power phase was what, three weeks out here, of where the midseason invite was going to be. So instead of tapering down to maybe one or two sets for the power, I would just keep it at full volume, go three, four, maybe even five sets and continually just work through it. So even though they're not going to that midseason invite anymore because it's canceled, you would still go through the cycles. There's benefit to going from strength strength power power or even for super beginners just some strength and power and to go back and forth there's benefit to cycling through that so just because all of a sudden the mid-season event got canceled doesn't mean you would just go straight strength for that whole part of the season that's actually not going to be the most beneficial the biggest thing that you would change is now that there's no meat to taper for you don't have to necessarily come down in volume but you would still go through the cycles as if you were going to taper. So that's just one example there. Another example, let's say that you wanna have short rest for a dual meet and you're in a high school uh, team here and it's your big school rival, your last dual meet before you go into conference and you're just wanting your swimmers to be rested for that even though conference is two weeks out. So the dual meets on Thursday evening. What I would do is I would drop volume for the Monday and the wednesday session so even though it's it's not on the day of the meet you still want to if this is your big rival and you want them to be pretty well rested and again i'm not saying what you're doing in the water i'm, I'm guessing that they're probably going to back off a little bit in the water too but we're just focused on what will we do for dry land for both monday and wednesday i would drop the volume considerably maybe even as much as 50 percent And it's not going to get it that far off track if we just do it for two days out of that week and then the next week we're back right up to the volume. But what it will do is it will allow the swimmers to feel really pretty fresh and rested for that Thursday evening dual meet. So if Monday and Wednesday, let's say we're going we're somewhere in week one or two here where we're going three sets. I would drop it down to maybe two sets on Monday and one on Wednesday or one on both Monday and Wednesday and then the following uh, Friday when they lifted, maybe get it back up to two. The following Monday, we're back up to three or even four at that point. So you can make those type of changes, especially if we're well into the season. It's not like it's week two or three and we're bouncing the volume around that much, but even just changing, looking at it from the season plan and knowing, okay, we want that dual meet to be pretty well, And we want them to be rested, then looking at the weekly and now boiling down to what does that actually change in the session there. So I would still go through that strength power phase that we were actually going to do for the dual meet, where they're in that dual meet that you're targeting, but just lower the volume just for those two sessions out of the three that you're lifting. Use the third one as kind of a quasi recovery if you need to, depending on how the athletes feel, or you could jump right back up to that volume as well. What the worst thing you can do is, again, set a season plan and not follow up with weekly or an awful if you're not doing session plans, right? If you're not actually writing the workouts. So any one of these three levels don't skip because they interplay. Off of each other and I know that sometimes you can get busy in the season and the weekly plans are probably gonna go by the wayside I feel like those are probably the first ones to go because the season plan is kind of a one-time deal and then the session plans obviously you have to write those on a regular basis but don't forget the weekly plans because that really connects those two levels so you can have that interplay and being able to calibrate okay this is what I want for the season this is how I want to play out for the weekly and then actually putting it paper on the session, it's gonna help you more easily write those workouts when it comes to the session. So make sure you're using all three levels for that. Now, quick teaser before we get into the following lessons here, where we're talking about taper, you need to basically use your management of how you're playing with the season weekly and session plans in dry land. For most of the season, you're basically practicing for how you're going to then affect it at taper so taper is not some magical time where all of a sudden we're playing by new rules and we'll talk about those in the following lessons but know that how you're managing it now in the season how do you manage that mid-season invite or that dual meet with the rival that you want to give them a little bit more rest you need to as a coach be taking information to see how are the athletes responding to one or two less sets when we were doing three or four How are they responding to a little bit more rest in the session? How are they responding to two dryland sessions in the week instead of three? And taking notes on that, so then by the time that you get to taper, you're able to put together the best plan because again, you're interplaying the session, weekly, and season plan, and you've used the season up until this point to determine how your athletes are responding. So just remember, this is a dynamic plan, Think about the 30,000 foot view with your season, 10,000 foot view with your weekly, and then on the ground with your session. They interplay between each other. You need to work off of them. You need to make sure you're keeping up to date throughout the season to ensure you have the best dryland program possible.
0: Dryland Talk.
1: Welcome guys to another study session. For those of you pursuing your SSDC credentials, we had a lot of people Respond with the forms and questions, probably the most questions we've ever had for a study session. So, again, as a reminder, if you're just joining us here, to go ahead and throw your questions in the chat, and Jason will make sure I get to those uh, by the end. So, we're going to start with people that first submitted their questions that aren't here, so they'll be able to watch the recording. So, Heidi has a couple questions here. Um, So, she says, I've only gotten through the mobility module, so this might be answered later in the course, maybe periodization, and uh, uh, she can't attend the study session because she teaches high school during that time. So, her first question is, if you have beginners, how often should you do the mobility and range of motion exercises? So, she's talking about the function exercises, and remember, when we're creating workouts, that's usually the first part of every workout. and. What I would say, especially if you have swimmers that when you test mobility is not their strength, right? Which most swimmers, it's it's probably not going to be that way when it comes to shoulder mobility and other things. So what I would say is, as often as possible, a minimum of three to four times a week, I would say, if you want to see any type of change. If you really want to see some change, I would encourage them to do it every single day. Do it you know, before they go to practice at home, after practice at home. But especially if you're running like a 30-minute, 40, 60-minute dryland session, even if it's just the 15 minutes before you get in the water, I would still have at least five minutes of almost every session somewhat Function exercises specifically around mobility, which most of your athletes are going to need. But I would say a minimum three times a week, Heidi, if you want to see any results. If you do much less, I'm not sure how much it's really going to change. So as much as you can, I don't think you can overdo it, especially when you're following our rules for uh, stretching there. So, and actually you have a question about that in the next one. This is a good question. How would you suggest that you get athletes to breathe and smile during stretching, excuse me, during stretching exercises who don't want to smile, especially in a group setting? So Heidi, I have to admit, this is the first time I've ever had that question. I was like, oh, I've never thought about that. I would say maybe get them to wink at you. I don't think you, I think it is possible that you could probably still be pretty tense um, and get a wink out, but maybe that just gets them a little bit closer to that smile, right? It's all about more the mindset that you're providing to that group too, right? So especially we just talked about function exercises, being at the start and trying to do those as much as you can. If you're starting the session with function, and that's where you're usually going to have your stretching rules of being able to breathe, being able to smile, make sure you start the session that way too, where kids feel like, all right, I can relax a little bit here. I can get some mobility before we get into the hard stuff. So I think it's also how you just kind of set the tone for the room and the kids coming in, but try winking if uh, they're not into smiling, we'll see that. And then last question Heidi had, do you have any suggestions for ways to have kids hold positions without wiggling and adjusting? So first I would say is that don't expect yourself to coach these perfectly the first time or for your athletes to be perfect, right? In a session, in the first few weeks, even in the first few months, sometimes it may take a while for the athletes to unlearn poor technique and get better at the technique you're trying to help. So don't, don't be too frustrated if it's not happening as quickly as you want. Same thing when you're doing technique changes in the water. As almost any coach knows, that sometimes it's going to take longer than you want it to, and that's okay. There's a couple of things that you could do depending on the exercises, Heidi. One is, <clears throat> I'm just thinking of real beginner athletes. What Exercises are they going to be doing where this is really going to be an issue? Wiggling, adjusting, squatting. Body weight squatting was one of the first things that came to my mind, and so you could do the drill of uh, one of the exercises we have is squatting while facing the wall. So how close can they get? Squat up and down without without having to lose their balance or move or have their knees touch the wall, and so that way it gives them something kind of actually solid to work around as they're trying to navigate. This new technique. So, depending on what it is, you could have them be closer to something that's a solid object or something that they have to move around. Or, similarly, with squatting, another thing you could do is have them just sit down and just tap a box or bench as they're squatting up and down. So, I would have the athletes maybe focus on something external that could help. The other thing, too, is you could have them hold something like even just having five pound dumbbells in their hands when they're doing squats. It's not that you're doing it for the weight to get stronger, but what I found sometimes with beginners, if you just give them a little bit of external resistance, it fires things up a little bit more and their body's like, okay, there's something extra. I got to pay attention a little bit more. It just snaps into place a little bit more with the nervous system. So just something light resistance wise, just so that they can feel the movement too. Something like with the hinge, for example, I can't remember off the top of my head if it was in one of the videos or lessons I did while I'm teaching the hinge. But what you can do is sometimes have a band around the athlete's hips and someone else has the band and it's just, you know, not hard tension, but there's just tension there. And the athlete has to push their hips back. So it's only going a little bit backwards, but they have to feel that tension. And so just feeling the tension a little bit sometimes through external resistance is going to help the athletes as well. Last one I would say is use peer pressure in a positive way. Maybe have people partner up and one athlete does it while the other one's watching and then they self-coach each other and then flip. Or you could do same time, like a mirror competition. Who can have the best technique between you or who can make sure they're looking as similar as possible? So, those are a couple ideas that come to mind with that, Heidi. So, try to explore some of that and remember just overall patience um, as much as possible. So that was all the questions from Heidi. Heidi, thanks for all those uh, great questions. we got a couple more people here. Again, guys, if you're just joining us, feel free to throw in your questions. Uh, If you haven't, we have a lot of people that emailed in and and sent ones through the form. So we're going through those first here. Uh, So Helen has a couple questions as well. First one here. Um is it possible to let people know when they are first start answering the exam that even though it's a multiple choice there's more than one correct answer for some questions. It took me about 12 questions to realize this. It wasn't until the question said which two that I started I input more than one. Maybe I was stressed about the time and the internet connection. Helen, great call. I've had a couple other people reach out and say that too. So, when you're doing the knowledge checks, that tells you how many questions are are pulling from because randomly I just had assumed that people were going to get some multiple choice where it's only one versus multiples. I'm going to reshoot a video introduction around that today and put that in the module. So everyone is aware of that. So sorry about that confusion, but there is, and I'm going to have a screenshot on the video too. So you guys can see the different things, but be aware of that for the questions on either knowledge check or the final exam. That some multiple choice, there's only one correct answer and others, you can select a multiple. It's a circle for one and a square for the other in terms of where you click. and I can't remember off the top of my head which one was which, but I'm going to be shooting a video uh, with that, and we'll have a little example as well so everyone is straight on that, not trying to trick anybody with the answers here. Um, next question Helen had, would strength power sets work if you did one set alternating with strength power and its components, or is it better to do the entire set strength Uh, Then power. So I'm not sure if I'm understanding, excuse me, how you're asking this question. So I'm going to answer it how I think you're asking it uh, and maybe even the second way that it possibly could. So what I would say is when you're setting up a a strength power phase, as much as you can do, so let's say we're doing four sets and the first exercise in our circuit is a squat followed by a box jump. And then the next uh, set of exercises that we're pairing up because we're trying to do the strength power phase here is a Romanian deadlift and kettlebell swing. Let's say we're doing three sets of each of these. Ideally, if you could just go squat, box jump, rest, squat, box jump, rest, squat, box jump, rest. Now we go down to the next set of exercises. That's the most ideal that I've found because it's the same stimulus over and over again. Now, the downside of that is if you have athletes that aren't as well-trained you might see their performance go down after one set and another. If you see that, I would maybe say go one set of the squat box jumps and another set of the uh, RDL and kettlebell swing and then go through all those and then up to the top again. That might help. Again, that's for much uh, less trained athletes that you might run into that. But hopefully, if you don't see a drop-off from set to set, I would try to do all of them in a row. Now, if we're talking about a greater workout and you only want to do like a strength power combo for one or two sets of exercise and the rest you want to do strength or the rest you want to do power, that's fine too to mix the phases a little bit if you want. And again, I can't remember off the top of my head, but in the master's case study that we did, I might've shown some workouts where we did something similar. And this is where I'm thinking of um, athletes that we have worked with for multiple years, and we really have an idea of how they're ticking, how their body's going to respond. And I know for some master swimmers, whenever we went to a pure power phase and we took away some of that strength, it really didn't help them. It, In some ways, it actually hindered them, tired them out more when it was just all power and no strength. So, I remember for a couple individuals, really high-level master swimmers that were going after world records and had trained with us for a number of years, we would do kind of a modified power phase where it was still like one or two sets of strength power for one or two exercises, and then the rest was power. Um, And sometimes too, in a strength phase, we might just add in a little strength power just to make sure they're still feeling that stimulus, and we weren't in a strength-only phase too long. So I guess I did answer that way that question two ways, Helen. So hopefully, one of those answers helps you with that. I'm glad you're thinking through uh, that stuff as well. And then this next question Helen had was an interesting one. I hadn't even, I was kind of thinking about this, but she crystallized it really well. So Helen also, uh, full disclosure, she also is a coach of a swim team that we uh, train. So with our dryland certified coaches, we send them their dryland program through the app. But Helen herself also wanted to educate herself and get surge strength dryland certified as well, even though we're still providing the workouts for her team. So that's the backdrop for Helen asking this question. So she says, as we start to write sessions and plans for groups, is it possible to let qualified coaches build a session in the app that we're using uh, for a price? In the future, I would like to retain the ability for the athletes to work somewhat independently uh, with the app and have tips, exercises, and the ability for them to record sessions and loads they've done. Helen, this is a great question. And We haven't launched the graduate level yet in part because I'm still trying to figure out what I want all involved, but I definitely think this is a great option that we could add to the graduate level. So, for those of you that don't know, we're going to plan on uh, opening the graduate level either later this year, probably more looking like 2021, but what that's going to be is it's open to only those who have passed and are now surge-strength dryland certified, and we're going to be going deeper. We're going to have regular office hours. I'm going to review programs and actually I'm reviewing a program later on in this call as well, and that's going to be just like what we're going to do. And I've been thinking about a couple other elements that we can have where it's just continual dryland education. And Helen, this is a great thought. Um, So, I'll need to look into our operations a little bit more, see how that would just work logistically-wise, but that's a great idea one, I'm definitely going to be thinking about adding for the graduate level. So thanks for that question. Um, Again, guys, if you're joining us, feel free to throw your questions in there. I'm going through all the questions that have been submitted so far. Sean, who is recently Surge strength, Drown certified himself, has a question. So I'm through the program and exam. Many thanks. Loved it. I'm sure I'll have plenty of practice questions. That's why you need to be in the graduate level soon, Sean, when we open it. For now, a quick question about insurance and validity of the CERT in UK and Ireland. I understand you're working in the background around these issues in the U.S. and wondering if this is also being addressed for the international Surge uh, certified instructors, or is this something I need to address locally? Sorry, can't make the study session best, Sean. Sean, great question. So I'm not sure off the top of my head how the insurance is going to work for the international coaches. We have figured out uh, on one of the insurance companies we were working with mm-hmm. and pretty much have that almost all straightened out. We'll be emailing that information out soon. The other one we were working with as well, still a little bit in the middle of that process, uh, but I will try to figure that out as well. I think the best thing to do too, Sean, would might be to just look into what your um, local laws are in the UK, Europe for any personal trainer or just a private swim coach as well. And if if there's some level of, of insurance or whatever, you're probably being able to see, okay, does this also transfer if you got it from an insurance company in America? I'm honestly not sure. Uh, what that all looks like, but we'll try to figure out as best we can and and help you guys, especially internationally that are taking uh, advantage of the certification. So, all right, guys, this is the last question, but it's going to take a while to go through this. I'm also going to share my screen as well. Uh, So Hiko, I think I'm pronouncing this name right, H-E-I-K-O, sorry, I'm awful pronouncing names. Uh, It says, hi, Chris, after finishing the certification, I'm on my way to write the first structured dryland program. Awesome. So excited. On the slides, you say that we can find each exercise in the YouTube channel, but I only found the exercises for hinge level one to level three missing uh, for some of the other four movement categories. We're actually in the middle. So some of the YouTube videos were all over the place. I realized they weren't all on this channel. We had multiple YouTube channels. I didn't even fully realize this. So we're merging them uh, as well in the next few weeks and putting all those as well. So if some of the exercises you search for are not there, they will be there very soon as we're trying to just transfer all of them over. Um, but he sent me the phase, the the workout that he's writing, and he asked the question, uh, what is the A in eight EA reps mean? And also, uh, I think it has to do with each side, each direction, but he's not sure. And he sent me the program. So we're going to go over this program here. So let me share a screen. All right, so you guys should be able to see my screen now. So this is the program uh, this coach set over. So we already answered the question about where the exercises are. Almost all of them should be the YouTube channel uh, shortly as we transfer them over. For EA, yes, it's each side. So I just put EA. That's all, how I've always seen it. I guess we could put just E, uh, but especially for maybe international coaches that are taking the certification, EA is for each side. So as you could see here, and I love it that this coach actually put in hinge, push, squat, pull, brace, uh, as he's making his circuits one and two. This is, uh, I love it. And so then you could see how many, how many lines are. That's how many sets he's going through. And so he's going to be going one set, then here, then here, then here, then here, then back up one set all the way through. Um, I feel like maybe I didn't copy all over the question too, but he had a question about um, he hadn't had this other pull exercise. And I remember too, I I guess I didn't copy the full question. They didn't have a lot of equipment as I remember. So there you could see for some of these, he's not, doesn't have uh, dumbbells to use, just stretch cords. And so again, remember if you have very limited equipment, it is going to limit somewhat what you can program. So I'd encourage all you coaches, if you have practically zero uh, equipment, make sure you're going through the equipment module and the lessons where we break down the, the minimal level of equipment you should get so at least you can program somewhat. So I'd encourage you guys to all do that. You already invested in the certification. It's about the same to then invest on that first level of equipment, maybe even less if you can find it used sometimes. So make sure you guys are doing that. For this other pull exercise, honestly, what I would maybe do, especially because you have the stretch cords, instead of a double arm pull, and I'm thinking that the elbows are probably locked to try to simulate a little bit more like a pull down, you could do standing on one leg and the opposite arm rowing. And you could do that each side if you're looking for a pull. There's There's a number of things you could do when you just have a band for your pulling category exercise. So I don't think you're that far off on being able to complete this one, but everything else looks great in terms of get your hinges, your pushes, everything's balanced here and the brace as well. Um, And he's even alternating. If you guys are noticing between lower, upper, lower, upper, and then brace. And if you remember, I talked about, and one of the lessons that actually helps get a little bit more of a cardio effect in your dryland workout, not that that's the most important thing to us, but it's helping the body have to push a little harder because in one exercise, all the blood needs to be in the lower body. Then the next exercise, all in the upper body. And that transition actually puts greater stress on the body. So you're going to get a little bit more bang for your buck on that. So I wanted to share this because again, I was thinking of the workout review and having people send workouts where I can go review them as part of one of the other things we're going to offer in the graduate level once people are dryland certified. So. I don't think I'm seeing any other questions that people are sending in that are live. So thanks everyone for sending your questions in. That was probably the most questions we've had sent in yet for a study session. So keep up the good work going through the curriculum and hope to see a lot more of you with the SSDC behind your name and your LinkedIn profiles and other social profiles as well. So thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next time.
0: Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.